This AIM Hometown Innovations podcast is sponsored by American Fidelity Assurance Company. American Fidelity is more than an insurance company. We provide a wide range of benefit strategies to help both your community and your employees. As trends continue to lean towards higher deductible health plans, it's more important than ever to offer supplemental benefits to help offset the additional expenses your employees may experience. We act as an extension of your human resources department, helping to educate, enroll, and support the development of a competitive employee benefits package, all while ensuring seamless administration and employee satisfaction. Our experienced account management team delivers year-round support, helps employers overcome benefits administration and budget challenges, and always offers a different perspective, a different opinion. Contact Jared Levy at 317-430-1792 for more information. This is Matt Greller, CEO of AIM. Welcome to the Hometown Innovations Podcast. Join us as we share ways our municipalities are positioning themselves for the future, thought-provoking interviews with state and local leaders, and more. Thanks for listening as we tell the municipal story. Welcome to this episode of AIM's Hometown Innovations Podcast. This is Chelsea Schneider with AIM, and today I am in the city of Bloomington with a really cool city official, the (laughs) Director of Innovations, um, Dave Tuckhead, and she has a really unique title. Um, You know, not a lot of our cities and towns have a director solely focused on municipal innovation, really thinking outside of the box. So Dave Ted, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure, my pleasure. So explain to me, what is your day-to-day in this role? Right, so every day is, is very different because this is such a new role, then it's still being conceptualized. Um, and I, I would also like to say just about the role in general that the responsibility of the Director of Innovation isn't to come up with all the innovations that are implemented at the city because that's already happening. In fact, that's one of the the first jobs that I undertook was to kind of catalog and see where innovation is already happening. So I've got a lot of really interesting data about that. Um, But um, on a daily basis, what I'm doing is looking at the three areas that I'm, I'm trying to focus on. And one is to create a culture of innovation. So I mentioned that innovation is already happening throughout the city. However, the data is showing, and this isn't surprising, that it's happening in clusters. And it's largely dependent on the people who are our leaders who are really bright and themselves innovative and very connected nationally and locally and regionally. Um, But if we rely on them for the innovation, those are the people who are likely to also leave because organizations and other cities want them. So developing a culture of innovation is trying to figure out what are the elements of our environment that are supportive of innovation happening in the first place? What kinds of innovation are we 
implementing, and then how do we support that? How do we leverage that? So developing a culture of innovation first is about understanding what it looks like when it's working well within the city. Um, we also need to know how each of the departments are working, what are their goals. So uh, I've been working with a lot of the department heads to understand what are your goals, how are you measuring them, what does it look like when your department is operating optimally, and then how do we use data to describe that, and how do we visualize that so that people who aren't data analysts can really understand what good literally looks like. <laughs> That's awesome. I think that this definition is probably different for everyone, right? But how do you define innovation, especially in the municipal space? Right, so innovation doesn't have to be a flying saucer. It doesn't have to be a drone. It doesn't have to be even technology. It's just looking at the delivery of city services and figuring out how to do it in a way that is more effective and efficient for the way that people want that service to be. So that may be a new service altogether, or it may be um, allowing people to do things on their smartphones instead of having to come all the way into City Hall to um, pay for a program or uh, understand what's going on. Definitely. I know that you were saying, you know, innovation is definitely um, driven by department heads and people who are in the roles, and do they think innovatively? Are there certain departments in the city where you're seeing innovation just happen more naturally? And what are other departments that you're really hoping to focus more on, just not just because of the nature of their mm -hmm. work? Sure, sure. Yeah, so um, not surprisingly, the departments who are data heavy is where the innovation is happening because they're really understanding their processes. So where there are departments and they're measuring the their ability to respond to something and they've really mapped out the process and they understand where they are in each step of the process, that's where the innovation is happening. So we see the most data-driven departments are our fire department, our police department, our public works department. They're really using, they're collecting a lot of data and they're visualizing it. So um, those, two of those departments actually have a position that is a data analyst. So the BPD has a crime analyst and our public works also has a, a data analyst. The fire department I believe is going in that direction. They would like to have somebody who's in charge of their data. Um, but right now all of them have mechanisms where they can understand their operations from a data perspective. That's awesome. What does it look like to an average city of Bloomington resident? Have some of your innovations actually gone out into the field and really changed the way a resident interacts with city government? Right now I'm new enough in my position that um, that hasn't happened. However, that's a really, really big part of this, right? Is we can't just stay within the walls of City Hall and dream up how we think a service is going to be better for our residents. We have to be engaging them in the process. But how to do that is tricky, right? Because I don't have the weight of the office of the mayor behind me to go to a resident to say, hey, can you participate in this process? It's got to be driven by their 
motivation for civic engagement or just being a part of the process and that is tricky. I know that there are some cities who will incentivize that through gift cards or through some kind of incentive mechanism but I'm still exploring what that is is looking like so I'm reaching out to people who do this public engagement for a living like um, IU we've got their public and civic engagement um, so that's a, a great resource that we've got in town. When you saw the job title, Director of Innovations, I mean, what were your initial thoughts and what is your background that made you such a great fit for the role? Right. So I salivated. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, this is great. I mean, it sounds awesome. Right. right? Yeah. So I'm the second person to hold the position, but I actually applied the first time around also and was in the final two with, with Tom Miller. So my background is, it's very circuitous. <laughs> so I, I started out um, in Russian language and I wanted to be a spy, but found that I wasn't great at lying. <laughs> <laughs> totally, yes. So, That's a good trait, right? right? <laughs> you know, for a person to have, so. I had to kind of switch courses, but um, in the process of learning Russian language, I studied in Finland, and Finland is a very innovative country, especially as it regards environmental science. So I saw how they were using waste heat to, from a, um, a laundrette to heat the dormitory that I was staying in, a lot of them were bikers, uh, cyclists, not room vroom bikers, sure. but <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. in all kinds of weather, and they just tricked out their bikes in order to be able to ride. Um, so Finland showed me, how, you know, how uh, important environmental science was becoming. So when I came back to the U.S., I um, I had already graduated with my degree in Russian language but there there weren't any any jobs that were available for that and so I went back to community college and started looking into environmental science and from that got a job with the Department of Energy and at that time and this will show my age a little bit but there weren't uh, very many people who knew how to use computers so word processing was just coming out spreadsheets databases and so they said hey you're young you can figure this out sure and so i did i became a, a database developer and from there uh, just kind of grew in that role and eventually ended up at los alamos national laboratories with the database consistency team and that was a really interesting team and very formative because i was the mediator between the database developers and I wasn't very good at that, by the way, <laughs> and the scientists. So I could speak geek on both sides of it and bridge that gap. And that became really, that showed me how important communication is. And um, that, uh, after that experience at Los Alamos, then I started tapping into another side, which is spirituality and yoga. And so um, I left the lab and studied to become a yoga instructor awesome. and became a vegetarian chef um, awesome. in New Mexico, staying in New Mexico. And, and then after then, I followed someone to California and it was during the dot-com boom. So I uh, became affiliated with an e-learning company and stayed with them for 15 years. That was also another really formative time because um, I got to, when that company started out, they were just a scrappy little company of, you know, four people working out of a, a really small space. 
And then they grew in a short amount of time to use offshore programming, and that changed the culture of the organization. So I became really fascinated by organization development, change management, culture change, leadership development, team development, virtual teams, all of that, and was with that company when I saw the, the job opening. That's but um, in the meantime, I worked in process improvements with IU Health, and so the framework of a lot of the efficiency that I use here actually comes from what I learned at IU Health. That's amazing. Um, why do you think it's important for a city to have somebody solely focused on innovation? Uh, it's that culture piece so that we don't have um, these clusters of innovation that are dependent on a leader or a personality, that everybody understand the framework for how we look at things. And um, before beginning this taping, you had asked, what is something that anybody can really learn from in this position? And I would say it's that framework because at the city, and I, I'm guessing that this is true around Indiana, the people who work for the cities and the, and the towns and the townships, a lot of them are doing this out of a sense of service and they've been there for many, many, many years. And that's wonderful because that gives you consistency and continuity. However, the downside is that it's very difficult to look at the thing that you do day in, day out with fresh eyes. And so having a framework that forces you to slow down your thinking and really get some distance between you and the process helps you look at it with fresh eyes so that you can say, what's the real need here and how might we do this differently? So it's that, that uh, lean process improvement framework that is something that I think people should take a look into because it can apply to anything. When you kind of started this position and you came in, how did you first kind of pitch, you know, this culture of innovation? Were you guys all around kind of maybe a board table? You're like, hey, guys, we're going to be innovative now. Or was it kind of just meeting with, you know, municipal employee to municipal employee and saying, how can you improve your processes? Or what was the first step? It comes from a pain point. So when there is a department or a group of departments who are experiencing some kind of frustration, then you know something's got to change and that is the best place to start because there's a high degree of readiness. People are ready for change. If you come in and say, oh, I've got this great idea. I saw this in Louisiana. You sh we should try this here. Then they really push back because they say, well, what we're doing isn't broken. So why are we trying something different with this? And in any organization, you can start anywhere, but if you start where the need is arising and being presented to you, then you're, you've got immediate buy-in. So that's where I started, I, um, and I call that getting pull from a department. And there was a situation where we have every spring, we get an influx of new employees because of our Parks and Rec and there's an aspect of the onboarding and the badging and the timekeeping process that we just weren't able to quite figure out. So we're working with Parks and Rec, with IT, and with HR as a group to map out what are the steps in this process, what are the barriers, and start doing some design thinking on how might we do this differently. And also really questioning the, the base premises. like. 
is this step in the process even really necessary or is this one of those things that we've done just because we've always done it that way definitely I mean such a good you know piece of advice even if you're a smaller city or town and how you can start thinking innovatively and where do you really begin that process just to improve the city and the town for employees and residents what other advice can you give municipalities across the state who might not have the capacity to bring on an innovations director but wants to think innovatively across the unit of government yeah i I, it goes back to that framework again so look at where where are you hearing the staff say oh i wish it wasn't like this or oh i wish you know even that word wish or wouldn't be nice if when you hear those key words then you know that that's an area that's ripe for change that there's already some organic buy-in right there so then you can start digging in and the second thing that i would say is data 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 so break down the steps in in the process really understand what goes into it who is supplying what goes into it what comes out of it who is benefiting from what comes out of it and involve all of those people in designing a new process and really telling you here's where the barriers are so there are a lot of pain points that we experience internally but they always connect back to our residents because that's what we do we're serving our residents so if we can find that magic of how do we involve residents on a, a regular basis, and, and we do, right? We've got boards and commissions, so we've got a formal structure where they're involved, but this is really more creative than that. The boards and commissions have really specific agendas of what they're, they're trying to advance. So this is engaging the public in a new way, and we just haven't quite figured that out yet. That's awesome. Um, relatively new to the role what has been your favorite day on the job since beginning oh gosh this journey with the city of bloomington that's a great question probably i get a real charge out of working with groups and i love it when there is an aha moment and so for this project that i was talking about that involved it and hr and parks and rec what we did was we split up those three groups and asked them to um, map out the process as they saw it and they understood it from their perspective. And then we brought all three groups together and showed each of them how the others had depicted the process. And there were a lot of ahas. There were a lot of, I didn't know that you did that. And a lot of well, how does that piece of information get over to this group of people? And there, in a lot of cases, there just wasn't a channel and nobody really realized it. And so because there's no formal channel, they started creating their own informal. So it was email, it was word of mouth, it was phone calls, it was showing up in somebody's office. And that becomes a problem because you can't get your hands around that. So that was, uh, when I saw them light up with understanding of oh if we really break it down and we look at how each other is seeing the same process then we start to create empathy for one another too of gosh I didn't realize my process was causing you to do all this rework and also through the role 
you all are applying to become a What Works Cities. Right. So explain to me that process and what that would mean to Bloomington. Sure. So What Works Cities is a Bloomberg Philanthropies initiative, and they evaluate a city based on best practices over 45 different dimensions. And in order to apply for certification, then you do a self-evaluation on those dimensions first, which is the process that we're going through. So all of the, the departments in the city have been working with me on answering those questions. Do we have these practices in place? And if we do have them in place, gathering the kind of documentation to prove it, once we submit, the really cool thing is that we don't even have to be certified to gain access to the materials that Bloomberg Philanthropies offers. So our goal is just to self-evaluate, get the assessment back from Bloomberg to say, here's where you're strong, here's where you're vulnerable, here are the areas that we recommend that you focus on because it has the biggest splash effect. And by the way, here are these really cool materials on design thinking, problem solving and decision making, and public engagement. That's great. I mean, a really cool process when it comes to just learning what works and what doesn't work currently in the city. Right. Yeah. And just getting those expert eyes on it. And not only, I mean, we can see just from the self-evaluation where we are strong and where we're not, but getting the assessment from them on, okay, based on this, here's where we recommend that you start because you can build off of that. And I think I'm really excited because I was looking into problem solving, decision making, and design thinking training for the organization, and it's in the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 thousands of dollars, and through Bloomberg Philanthropies, we can get that for free. And that's a, that's a really big deal. So I recommend that they do have a cutoff for cities. I think you have to be 30,000, a population of 30,000 or above. But if you, if you hit that mark, then I highly recommend people go through that process because if nothing else, it's a really good reflective process for your department leaders to say, oh, I never really thought about having that structured of a data governance program and, and how that would benefit us. To round off the podcast, you know, down the road, what do you hope your position means for the city of Bloomington? The city of Bloomington is so unique, has such a great, unique quality of life. What are your kind of long-term goals? Like the impact? Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm shooting for the moon, it is a whole new way that our residents interact with government to provide input and to help us co-design solutions. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Dave. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. The same Hometown Innovations podcast was sponsored by American Fidelity Assurance Company.